from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Lucia Ashta's episode on our companion podcast first. If you liked what you hear, check it out on Kindle Vela. The links to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. So, Christine. So, JV. Uh, our wonderful author uh, had an ad in New York, which is amazing. And, you know, mm-hmm. props to her. Is super awesome. Um, I am curious, what do you do for ads when it comes to Molecule Thief? Oh, well, that's a good question. So, right now, the only thing I'm really running are Facebook ads. So I'm just running a few dollars a day uh, just mm-hmm. to get people to the cereal and it does work. So that's actually the only thing I'm doing right now. I haven't really found anything else that's been uh, successful. I haven't found, you know, social media is not really successful for directing people to your uh, cereal, but it is good for, you know, notifying the re- notifying for notifying the readership you already have that, you know, go read, but um, I haven't found it that successful. So really all I'm doing is Facebook ads. How about you? So uh, not this month, but the previous three months, nerds had no ads going for it. And we were just kind of letting it do its thing. Uh, We were not getting that many reads. It was pretty terrible. It was basically whoever was with us before uh, stayed with us, but then uh, there was no new organic reads, um, which is clear and evident that to us, we need to have some sort of visibility because we fell off the the um, top, whatever, 200. Yeah. yeah, and, and we're invisible. Um, so I started running Facebook ads this month. Uh, we have, uh, I had one ad going um, earlier in the month and I swapped it out for a different one to try and get a little bit more um, like cost per click, like under a certain mm-hmm. number. Um, and we've had at least four times the number of reads nice. um, with more new readers coming in. Uh, so it's clear to me <laughs> that ads do something. Oh, they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was uh, a really good wake up call for me. And um, based off of what we're paying for these Facebook ads, uh, I believe that as long as the bonus program continues, this it's has paid it. off. Yeah. It's paid 100%. off more than uh, what we would have earned. So, so it's not like we're in the black anymore. We're in the green and we have the potential of even earning more. So excellent. That was kind of nice. It was a good wake up call to me. Um, I'm still learning ads. Um, I think the current one, I'm going to keep talking about ads, deal with it. Um, okay, go for it. <laughs> I think our story, I, I, I think the ad I have for it might be a little bit too glitzy or it might be attracting just a, a, a fraction of the audience that I'm looking for. And I kind of need to gear it more towards people that are interested in stranger things. Cause right now it's, it's very bright and colorful, but like mm. comedic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I have, uh, it, it's funny cause you can see like male, female click through like the amount of males that click versus female is like super low. And I think it's because there's a lot of that, like, and this is just presumptions and assuming, but there are a lot of like pastel bright mm-hmm. colors. Um, 
And so there's a, I need to get something in there and test out some different um, styles and see what really grasps either an equal level of, of people or what. Yeah, very cool. Like, let me know how it goes. When I first started running them, I was running, you know, a couple of different graphics and actually a couple of videos uh, with, you know, different ad copy. Like, so like the same picture with different ad copy or a different mm-hmm. ad copy with different pic, you know, the same ad copy with different pictures. So I just did that until I found one that was working and at a pretty low cost per click. And yeah. Yeah. I'll need to, yeah, I need to play with it. My big trick is looking at everyone else's Kindle Vela ads on Facebook and then just mimicking because, uh, that, yeah, they yeah, not, yeah, yeah. you know, well, that's the or, Facebook has the ad library. So you can just go in there and look up other Velas yep. and yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. Keep us posted. Yeah, I want to know um, what other people are doing for ads and what's working, what's not working. Let us know. Okay, sounds good. Let's go talk to our author. Let's do the thing. So JP, let's talk about Pro Writing Aid. And as they say on their website, it is the secret to polished and professional writing. As writers, we make the same mistakes. You use Pro Writing Aid, you can get clear, easy steps to improve your writing so you can share your ideas with confidence. Whether you're doing creative writing, business writing, academic writing, just composing an email and you want to sound smart, Pro Writing Aid will help you. And 100%. there's something new. What is it, JP? So Atticus, which is a wonderful program uh, that includes book formatting and it is developing aspects for writers so that it can basically be a one-stop shop for writers has an integration with pro writing aid now uh so we've mentioned before that pro writing aid has a lot of integrations with you know google docs and uh, microsoft word and now atticus which just makes uh one it makes that tool atticus really uh shiny and nice for authors that are looking for a one-stop place. But it's just the fact that ProWriting Aid can integrate with so many programs so that you're able to use this sort of last line defense before handing it off to someone. Um, it just makes it so much easier. I love using ProWriting Aid because then I don't have people that are editing it looking for simple mistakes that I can find using ProWriting Aid that I can learn from. And instead, they're looking at the deeper content and they're able to notate that. Um, so I just find writing it so nice. So I love it when I hear a new integration has happened. Absolutely. Check out ProWritingAid. It will help you be a better writer. ProWritingAid.com. Use our discount code Serial20. So JP, let's talk about LaterPress. So LaterPress is a platform built to help authors uh, declare their independence. It lets authors create digital books and sell them directly to their readers through their own branded website. And there are new things uh, coming to the platform every day in terms of discoverability and new features. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I actually, I put nerds on LaterPress and it was a really easy and really fast uh, process, which was pretty cool. And one of the cool things was you can put a collection and then you can put your uh like we put nerds in the collection uh so that ideally if we do any spin-offs or if we do any like season two or like specifying those pieces you can put those books in the collection which yeah. is really nice and it's a really nice way of like hierarchical hierarchical uh pieces to it which is really cool yeah um yeah, and it basically gives you your own website. Ours is nrds.laterpress.com. And you just direct your readers straight there and they see nerds. 
it it doesn't get blocked by anything else. There are no ads in the way. There are no, like nothing. It's just straight up nerds content for your readers to get straight to reading, uh, which is uh, different than some other platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I did the same thing, um, although I uploaded uh, all of my books to a collection just so I had one place, you know, to, to direct mm-hmm. readers. And so I have Molecule Thief, Dark is Away, and the Steampunk Emerald Key is up there. So it's one link. People can see all your books and you can order them whatever way you want, uh, you know, or your yeah. cereals. You can put cereals up as well. And uh, yeah, and you can do it on a subscription model or pay per book. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, which was a, a really cool. Yeah, yeah, the pricing thing was pretty cool. Figuring out uh, either doing per book or some type of a subscription model uh, just to kind of give your readers different abilities to uh, support you. Because some people really like the, you know, it's basically like a Patreon, but yep. you just get content to read. And the cut is just 5%. Yeah. So test it out. Try it out. Yeah. Laterpress.com. See you later, press. So I just wanted to start off by talking about your hook. So a tiger walks into a saloon, and yet our main character is more worried about what the owner will do to her if she doesn't clean up its fur. How do you go about writing hooks or openings that will pull in a reader? Over time... I have learned, I guess what I've started doing is writing the kind of story that would pull me in as a reader. So what, what draws me the most into a story is character. Even though world building is obviously incredibly important, for me, the most important thing to tell me, okay, I'm invested in a story, I'm willing to read the next chapter and the next, and before, as you know, before you know it, I've read the whole book, is really finding myself just transport it into the world, the body of a character, start experiencing the immediacy, the, the, the oddness of the world, the, hopefully the magical elements of the world. So I like to do that with my writing too. So I like to start my story in the middle of a scene, in the middle of something going on with the character, instead of de- detailing the, the world slowly and introducing the reader that way. I like to just drop them right in there so that they start experiencing the character and the world through their eyes. Excellent. And so when Christine and I were looking at this first episode in terms of like theme or armature, uh, a statement that we kind of came up with was we must self-sacrifice to ensure the safety of others, which is really strongly pulled through this main character and her sheriff role being that protector. I'm curious, how does theme play a role in your storytelling if it does? I'd love to hear you, how you put it. Um, I had not stopped to think of it that way. You know, I, I think I used to think about these things a lot more theme and making sure I, I had all those elements into my books or in my books. What I realized over time and, you know, after writing, you know, the millions and millions of words is I've learned to just trust myself more on a subconscious level. So I have learned to just, of course, all this can always be addressed in editing and everything if I need to, which, but is, isn't very often, actually. What I have learned is just to trust the pacing, trust the, the motivations of the characters. And when I come back later, I will often observe things like themes like that, even though I didn't this particular one, if I'd stopped to, <laughs> I hope I would have. Um, but so I don't necessarily consciously do that. I do think about character motivation and the world and making sure that things make sense and they're balanced and all that. But I more trust as I almost follow my characters around and trust them to develop the world 
I allow those things kind of to fall into place on their own. If that makes sense. Yeah. Nice. So I want to ask more about your character development since you love characters and that's what pulls you into your story. So your protagonist in this opening is Loretta and she just wants to kick back and enjoy herself in the saloon after a hard day. But then she has this need uh, to protect her people and to fill the role of the sheriff. How do you go about crafting an engaging character? What What's important in that to you? This This might sound unusual, although I'm sure I'm not the only one who writes this way. I tend to just, so I will start writing a story, even an entire series, with just a little seed of a feeling of the character. I don't know what they necessarily, what they look like, who they are, what their background story is, anything. I will just start my story in like one scene. And then I kind of, it sounds funny for somebody who doesn't write, but I really just follow my characters around living in, in their bodies almost. And I experience the world through their eyes. So I will have sometimes very surprising things revealed about my characters that I didn't see coming. And to me, that's just, that's part of the enrichment of the process, which I get to enjoy as an author, as much as the reader, because I don't know those things in advance. So it's also for me, when I start crafting a story, it's, I get to know my characters almost along with the reader. Of course, sometimes, you know, it gets to a point where I'm like, oh, this is a a complicated little scenario. I have to make sure to resolve this point. I have to keep this going and keep this balance and that. But for the most part, I let the characters set the tone and pace and learn about them as I go, Um, which is why I ended up with a reverse harem when I never intended it because Loretta just insisted. And I actually tried to resist the reverse harem aspect for a while. I tried, there were a few different points at which I tried to divert the story and go to, you know, your traditional uh, one-on-one lover situation, but my characters just weren't having it. And I finally gave into it. I was like, okay, you guys got it. Here we go. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about plot and using this first episode and Christine and I look at it through the three C's, uh, conflict choice, and in this case, cliffhanger. Uh, and really that that turn in the scene, uh, the conflict doesn't happen until a little later where that bell clangs, Hank Henry's busting into the saloon and he causes this ruckus. And then you have this choice where Loretta's like, okay, am I going to go see who these newcomers are? And it, it just happens without a question. Uh, and she's saddling up and heading to this portal. So it sounds to me like you are what would be called a pantser, someone who kind of doesn't plot or necessarily have that structure. But how do you go about um, maybe in the editing phase for story structure? That is a very good question. I am indeed a pantser, as I like to call it, maybe like intuitive writer or something. Um, I don't really, of course, I rely a lot on my editor's advice on this, like, and, and my also reflection on you, some, sometimes I'll write a story and I'm like, oh, I wonder if that part was strong enough. And I'll come in and supplement a little bit like that. Uh, but I have a superb editor who will point out any, anything he sees as a weakness in it. But for the most part, I just, it's, it's difficult to explain because it really is, it feels like an intuitive sense. And that's another reason that serial fiction really lines up well with how I write. I have this it's, it's just really is just this feeling. I'll write the end of a chapter and I write the line and I'm just like, it's something, it's like almost like a little bow gets tied. I'm like, okay, that feels just right. And I'll leave it there. And so it's, it's this kind of wave. Okay. I open, I'm addressing whatever conflict was open in the previous chapter. It builds, it builds. And I have, since my characters are quite kooky, a lot of it is a character interaction and development. And then the hook at the end of the chapter 
which is almost always some kind of conflict or some kind of observation on it. But it really just happens naturally, which might not be very helpful as far as um, talking about specific plot elements, but there you have it. (laughs) I like that. So did you think at all about uh, what the key components were to a good fantasy Western or how did that come about or what do you think is necessary to include in your mind? (laughs) Um, I don't think my answer is going to be a surprise here, but (laughs) I didn't actually think about the world very much at all before I started writing it. I just told myself, no holds barred, go at it. Let's see what, what kind of, I might, my whole purpose in writing this was really to have fun. I find that it's really important for nurturing creativity to just at some point, you know, all of us who have written and write professionally, there are some times that we have to kind of cater to what our audience is expecting, what the genre is expecting, that kind of thing. And this really was just about letting myself do whatever I wanted. So there wasn't too much thought about, okay, I'm going to write this story and fit into the fantasy Western genre. It was more, this is where I'm opening my story right here. And let me find out about what this town is all about. What is this character all about? What are, what are their motivations? What makes them tick? Why are they so wild? Why are they so crazy? How do they react to being in this prison world? So I didn't really think about the genre, which of course in, in post-writing can be tricky because then you're like, how on earth do I market this story? So it's not necessarily advisable, right? It makes sense to have a specific delineated genre before you go into it because that makes it all so much simpler. But I wasn't in a simple mood. <laughs> uh, and that's what, I mean, I have, I have plenty of stories that I did purposely fit within boundaries of genre but this isn't one of them so I didn't really think about what I was going to write how it was going to look or what I should honor as far as genres went I just told the story so we are almost in five seasons of this serial and you have a lot of magical creatures uh various different aspects of fantasy elements i'm curious how do you keep it all together do you have some type of world building document uh i just would love to know how you're keeping it all together that is a fine question um i a storyboard would be amazing truly (laughs) especially if my worlds are so kooky they're almost all invented you know but um, I find I, at the pace I write in the many different worlds I have, it just doesn't make sense. There was the time like when I was writing my Magical Creatures Academy series, which is seven books, and I had so many kooky characters, so many different, very uh, specific things to my world that I put up a you know big poster board and had all their names and like specific things I named in the in the series so that I could remember them really and be like, oh, I, oh my God, I forgot about that character. I've got to weave them back in and that kind of stuff. Now what I do, it's very sophisticated. I have a a bunch of little notepads that I write because like right now I'm writing three series at once, actually four, but right. That's the other one's a different story right now. And I have a little pile of these notepads and I'll just write down every time I introduce a new character, I'll write down their name or or something unique to the world. Um, Something that you could say like trademarked almost, um, although obviously not trademarked. And so I'll write it down and then I'll write as I go, let's say I describe the character and he's, tall, tattooed, and with, you know, a goatee. I'll make those kind of little notes as I go so that I make sure that I'm keeping consistent. But otherwise, that's all I have. I I just, um, (laughs) that's why if I come back, like right now, one of the, 
I'm actually on a very brief pause in my six shooter shifter story because I have a pre-order from another series and, you know, and, and Kindle, um, the other, the Kindle store that came up barreling on me. And so I've had to take a pause. Uh, although I will be writing the next season of six shooter shifter tomorrow. So I missed two releases, <laughs> but hopefully my readers will forgive me. And um, so for to do that, because I don't keep a huge storyboard or a story Bible or anything, because it had been a year since I'd written the last story, I actually went back and read, it's five, five novels. So I went and read all of them just to make sure I'm super fresh on the story. So storyboards and organization sounds like a dream. They would be so helpful. But I just at the pace I go and just, and when I write, I, I, I write on these like old school keyboards that are disconnected from the internet, these alpha smart neos. And so I have no internet, no nothing. I stare out at the trees while I write. And so it's just really all up in my head and on these little scratch pads. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Love I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only chaos demon who doesn't organize my work. So Absolutely. yay. Oh, good, good. I mean, work, right, whatever works for us, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, a reader might be a little shocked to see that I just, I really, because when I say I fly by the seat of my pants, I really mean it. <laughs> I love that. So you have a massive back catalog of books spanning romance, paranormal, fantasy, women's fiction. How has writing serials been different and how has it been the same? Well, I think one of the ways it's been different is uh, what I addressed in, I think it was the the reader portion of the um, podcast, right? Of the immediacy of getting my work out, which is just so lovely because ah, I, I love my character so much, my story so much. I just want everybody to like enter. Oh my God, did you see what he did? What she did? What what they you know what they did? This little creature. I, I I love that part of it. So the immediacy of getting it out is something that is so rewarding that it it just it invigorates my writing. So that part I love, but it hasn't really changed my writing very much. I already, the way I was talking about earlier of that I write and just have kind of have this natural feel for when the end of a chapter comes, that little hook that we're, you know, is very helpful for serial writing. So I already wrote the way I write for my serials. So in that way, it hasn't really changed at all. The only thing that has changed and it's pretty significant for my process is that I come back and immediately read what I've written, which I didn't used to do. So it gives me an immediate overview on the writing of the day, the advancement of the world. And it's quite funny and you might experience that as well. But when I write, it's, it's like, I don't always remember everything that I put in there, which is kind of funny. I'm so enmeshed in my characters and my world that I truly feel like I'm experiencing it through their eyes that sometimes I'll have it where, and I love it when this happens, where I'm actually removed from the writing and I feel like I'm experiencing it myself. And so when I go back and read, I'm like, oh, well, that sounds great. I, I didn't even realize I wrote it, which is always obviously much better than being like, oh my God, what did I write there? Um, so in that way, I have an immediate overview of the progress of my story that I didn't have before. Of course, before when I write just novels, I still have a sense of the story and the characters and all that, of, of course, but I don't always look at it through the objective lens that I look through it for serial writing. So with all these different genres, I'm curious, how how does marketing and branding yourself maybe differ than an author who may stick within one niche? Like, what does that look like for you? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> marketing. 
you know, I would be so thrilled if I could just be up in my little writing studio and write and write and write and never, ever, ever think about marketing. Boy, wouldn't that be a dream? Uh, it, would. It, is, it is not ideal to have a catalog that ranges so many genres, let me tell you. Uh, but it's been a little tricky telling my muse to just shut up and obey. It, my muse is not like that. So it is, it's tricky. The marketing is tricky. Uh, I have for branding, what I've recently started doing is realizing to feed my kooky side, um, I have started having this kind of dual branding. So I have these kooky, zany, funny, laugh out loud series of which I have along the vein of Six Shooter and a Shifter, but I have, I have more than, than that one that goes along those lines. And then I have intense, gritty, sexy, edgy, uh, different, usually fantasies, paranormal and so I've started doing both of that. So even though it, I think the ideal for an author, especially one with a long-term career, is to stick to a small niche and, and have a very specific branding, I know that works very well. Since my muse is not willing to do that and I'm too intent on following my passion, I have these two, di- just this bifurcated brand. Um, and one caters more the the edgy, sexy, like shifter. Like for example, I recently finished up two series that are wolf shifters, and they're they are m- much easier to market. Let me tell you, so much easier. But I know that there are many authors out there that write amazing books that are like that: the sexy, paranormal romance, edgy. And I feel like there are, at least that I have found, there are less stories that are these zany, wild things that I'm like, these are the worlds I want to live in. So I feel like as part of, since I got into all this to follow my dream and my passion, I feel like I have to honor that side of myself and put out these stories that I know readers love. It's just, you know, it's a little trickier to find greater quantities of them. So don't do what I did, but I'm still doing it. (laughs) I love that. So keeping on with marketing, this Vela got a 60-foot billboard in New York City. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about what that was about and what the whole process was like? Oh, no, baby, that was nothing. (laughs) Um, That was amazing. That was the highlight of several months at the very least. It was amazing. I just, you know, Amazon reached out and I was like, you want to do what? (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, I'll jump through hoops. You tell me what to do. I'll send, I'll send it your way. So that was amazing. As far as I understand, that was Kindle Vela launching their, um, their platform in that way. So yeah, it was a 60 foot billboard in Manhattan and like prime, you know, pedestrian traffic area. And it was mind blowing. So interestingly, it didn't really change too much other than that, just like, that was amazing. A highlight of, of my career already. So uh, yeah, magical, magical, but I didn't really do anything to make it happen other than say, yes, please. Thank you so much. <laughs> nice. Excellent. I yeah. I love the picture, by the way. I think it's on your Instagram, right? Yes. I, yeah, yeah, yes. I figure I'll let that Everyone one ride a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Um, you also are putting this Vela out in audiobook format. And I'm curious, what does that process look like? Well, I'm putting it out in audio, not actually moving along with the serial, but in concordance with putting out the actual, the eBooks and the, you know, the physical books. So it, that, that is one wonderful thing about serial writing. Up until now, I have been really a write and release kind of author. So 
I haven't really, even though it makes a whole lot of sense to wait and hold the book so that you can have audio at the same time, release at the same time, as you probably picked up, patience is not one of my, my strong suits. So I would typically release my eBooks and audio would come around, you know, however long, a few weeks later. But serial writing has been fantastic because since I'm writing the serials up ahead of time and we have, especially we have that, you know, 30 day period before you can even release the book into um, the Amazon store. So I have had the unique opportunity now to have my audio ready in time for launch of eBooks and print books and all that. So it has been marvelous, but it has not been because of the serials. The serial has given me an advantage just because of the timing of it. And I tell you now I'm sold I really am in serials for the long haul. I mean, they're working for me. I really like it. I have several others planned and the audio is a bonus because now I just get to give my readers every format I want at the same time. Now, if as soon as, you know, Kindle Vela opens up to international readers, I'll be, I'll be extra sold because I do have quite a few international readers. And it's, that's one part that is frustrating, not being able to offer the stories to them. They feel left out. And I really like to be inclusive as much as possible in every way. So it's, that's one thing I'm hoping for soon. Same. <laughs> so I'm curious, do you have any favorite uh, craft books or resources that you would recommend, especially if they're on intuitive writing? No. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Next question. <laughs> I do. I do use a lot of books in my writing, but not, not as much as, you know, I found for, at least for my writing transformation over the years, I've been, I mean, it hasn't, I talk like it's been that long. It feels like that long, but it's really, I started publishing my first published book came out nine years ago. And then the writing world, sometimes that feels like a small eternity. But so at that time, I did read a ton of craft books, you know, like Stephen King's on writing. I think that's what it's called. All, all those kind of, I read books on hooks. I read books on, you know, plot, pacing, all that. And I found that the more I read, once I felt like I had, I, I was doing, you know, due diligence and properly preparing myself to put out the best kind of book I could for my reader, it actually turned to the other end of not being helpful. And it created self-doubt within myself. Um, so I would write and I'm like, oh, but I'm not doing exactly the way this and that. So I really, I read tons, but I read fiction. Unless, of course, there's a book that strikes my eye. I'm like, oh, I'm sh I think I could learn something I haven't really assimilated from this person that I will. But the things I usually use are, for example, I use um, beside my writing area, I have baby name books. And I use those, for example, for writing, uh, naming my characters. I look and I find the one that's just right when I'm going. So I use different references like that but not really craft books at this stage. I have a nice collection of them that I've gone through, but right now it's not, I guess it's just not what I'm needing. You mentioned earlier that when you write, you get to stare out at the woods and I get to stare at a gas station. So I am curious, <laughs> what else uh, is uh, in your daily writing practice? What does that look like uh, for you? Oh, good question. So we have recently, my family, we recently moved to the forest in North Carolina in the Smoky Mountains. We used to live in Sedona, Arizona, which is so beautiful. I love it there so much. We were there for a dozen years, 12 years. I miss it. I miss those red mountains like you would not believe. But where we live is enchanting. So we live in the forest with the river at the edge of the property so I can hear the river flowing. And I write without looking at the keyboard. Um, and as I explained earlier, I have a, just an, an old, real old school keyboard, no internet connection. Uh, I love it that way. So I don't get distracted by anything. And so I just sit with it on my lap and write. And meanwhile, I'm staring out at the trees and the birds flitting by and squirrels fighting, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's, it's really peaceful. I love it. 
but that that's new. That's, you know, it's been about two years, but I love just being immersed in this magical situation on all sides. So it just, it seems to add to the, the magical feeling of my world as I'm writing. That's I hope awesome. the gas station is a pretty one. <laughs> it could be. I do expect to see uh, some squirrel duels at some point in one of your. Oh works. yeah! Oh yeah! Just wait—they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious what the editing process looks like you for uh, serials. Do you have a formal editor? Or are you just kind of editing it yourself? What does that look like? I am doing a, both at the moment. So I, that has really changed my writing process because I used to, earlier in my career, I used to write and then edit, not, I wouldn't say a nauseam, but enough to drive me crazy. And then I would go to a professional editor. And I soon found that the editing process, I don't know what it is about it, but oh my God, it is torturous for me. And I think it's because it gets into that, it feeds that self-doubt side of me or something and it takes me out of the magic that I, I was in to create the story and it's just critical oh my god that sentence oh my god and so I just decided for my own sanity I had to stop so I would write and the way I compensate for that and, and to, to preface this I also when I write I tend to write pretty tight um, not of course it always you know needs to be cleaned up and, and spruced up but major changes are very uncommon so I used to, I finally got to the point where I just wrote and then I sent it to my editor. And because I wasn't reading it, I went through a second round of professional edits. And then I had a, I have a professional proofreader as well, just to make sure it's the best it can be while preserving as much of my sanity as we can. But then with serial, as serials came along, I felt like it was really essential to, at first I, I would, I would read it, which I'm still doing. And I found, I finally found, I've gone through a few transitions with this, that if I read over it while I'm fresh as soon as I wrote it. So it's still fresh and I'm still kind of in the creative zone. I don't get into that critical mind, which just does not work for me personally. So I do read through it. And then really, I don't focus on editing. I might add like a one-liner here, a one-liner there, or I'll read it. I'm like, I'll think of something little that I want to add. So it's just minor sprucing and then it goes to edit and then I upload. Uh, but then of course, once the books go to through the process of releasing for a regular you know, regular release, they'll go through their usual double professional edits, proofread and all that still. So it really gets extra editing now um, for the final book. But it's, that's been tricky for me because it actually has added on quite a bit of extra work time that I didn't used to do. So that's been, I have, it's been a mixed bag because <laughs> the, the editing and just, I know I have, I have author friends who enjoy it and bless them for it. I wish I did, <laughs> but I do not. It just doesn't work for how I, how I am. Love that. So as a final question, what would you say to someone looking to start a serial? I would say go for it as the main thing, but, but some practical advice would be to actually have quite a bit written ahead of time. I, I'm a, I'm a fast writer, so it, it works well for me, but you know, complications happen. Um, and like right now, like when I first started releasing six and a shifter, cause I released that when Kindle Bella went first went live. I was on the ground with it, had my first 10 episodes up and I've been going at it ever since, you know, two episodes a week uh, between, I think it was like season one and two, I had two releases I skipped while I was finishing up other things. And now I'm again at the end of season four and I'm taking two, two releases off while I finish up another two books. But it, th no matter what, even if we're like, Oh, you know, it's no big deal. I write 
10 chapters a week, writing two for the uploads is not an issue. So inevitably stuff happens and, you know, we're not robots, of course. Right. So it, I think having that pressure off is a real bonus. So for me, the biggest thing would be make sure you, or if you can have several chapters up so that you can be a little bit ahead of the game, take that pressure off. I personally write much better without pressure on me. I know other authors who thrive with deadlines. That's not me. I love just, you know, flitting around my little magical worlds and not, not thinking about any of that. So having some of it written in advance is huge for me. The other thing is, I think, sticking to a consistent schedule, which I'm sure other authors have mentioned, is, is really key as well. And then putting out the best book, the best story you can. I, I find editing is always important, always helpful. But other than that, just like go for it. I mean, they're, they're readers for everything, right? So why not have, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in this stage with this story. It's like, I'm, I'm, you know, going wild on my like little adventure of having fun and just letting loose. So I'm all for doing whatever you want and, uh, and have other stories too that are coming through that are a little more reserved. But I think they're, they're readers wanting the serial. So, so go for it. But it would be helpful, I'm sure, in advance to have a plan and really know that you, before you commit to putting out a serial, because of course, then we kind of make a commitment to the reader. And if we don't, I think the reader notices and our stories show that, right? Like right now I haven't released an episode in two weeks and my rank, the rank of the story has slowly been slipping. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to get to it. But I have all these other books, right? So it is what it is. So just planning in advance, having a, a team, if that's what a person uses of editing uh, beta readers are hugely helpful. Uh, I, I rely on them a lot to get input on the story, to get the, the feel that the, you know, the story's hitting the mark that I am, that my sense of humor that I have is very personal to me is hitting the right marks, you know? So I think just thinking it through in advance, but also not waiting too long because hesitance can also keep us from doing things that I think are important. So get ready, get planned and um, have a plan in place and then go for it and have fun. Awesome. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a great joy. Our thanks today to Lucia Ashta for letting us break down their episode. And, and that's a wrap. That's a wrap. You are living like the forest witch life that I want. So I just need you to know that. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I just want to watch the squirrels. Soon, you know? It will. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We have some we have some loud squirrels around here. I mean, they you would not believe what a small <laughs> little squirrel can do. They make so much noise, it's insane. We we have um some very aggressive squirrels that cling to our neighbors house and they just scream it's intense they steal <laughs> huge amounts of food too like i don't know how they can oh. carry it but it's insane well to make you feel a little bit better about not living the forest life just last week i was woken up so early at daybreak every day by this nest of little um cardinal baby birds chirping <laughs> endlessly and of course you know i can't blame them for being little chirpy birds but oh my god yep. they, they, until they flew the nest like a week later it was like yeah, so that. <laughs> we get that. Yeah, we have the cardinals and the blue jays, and we have bunnies under my shed, JP. So if you oh. want to come watch bunnies, 
Uh, I think Delta Warren under there. <laughs> Blue Jays are loud and they aggressive. They are super they loud. Yeah. They're right outside like my son's bedroom and they're so loud. And they're very beautiful, but they're also jerks. So they are very, I, you know, <laughs> when it took me a long time to realize I was like, oh, the Blue Jays. And then I was like, oh my God, they really are massive jerks. Like, they are. Mm-hmm. 